You're listening to the Bible Nerd Podcast, a weekly show where we're exploring the world of the Bible, helping you fall more in love with Jesus, and building a thoughtful defense for the Christian worldview. I'm your host, Steve Schramm. Welcome to the show. So I want to talk to you this week about my approach to apologetics, and uh, this is something that has come up recently uh, in, actually a couple times now, it's come up in a conversation I had the other night on the Mentionables YouTube channel, and also came up a little bit in a uh, question that I received from a reader as a response to an email, one of my daily emails that went out. By the way, if you are not on that daily email list, you need to get there. Go to steveshram.com slash battle uh, or steveshram.com slash defend. You can go to either one of those two and you'll be taken to sign up for an email course. The one uh, that goes to battle is an email course about creation and, and kind of my position on that. And then the one that goes to defend is a general one on apologetics that you can check out to learn how to defend your faith. So either one of those will send you an email course. And then after that email course is over, you'll begin receiving daily content from me to help you grow in your faith and learn more uh, about being a Bible nerd and also learn more just about how to um, be someone who lives well for Jesus in this world. And uh, to the best of my ability, I want to help you do that. And um, of course, on my own journey of doing that every single day. So um, come along for the ride. So that is my daily email that uh, you need to be receiving if you are not. So my friend Jonathan replied to me and asked me a couple questions. And he, uh, just to give a little bit of background, he has uh, conversed with me a couple times now about this issue of presuppositional apologetics. Some of you may or may not know that I tend to um, reluctantly, so very reluctantly, uh, ascribe to presuppositional apologetics. I say reluctantly because I do not characterize presuppositional apologetics in the same way that probably, oh, I don't know, 97% um, of folks who hold to presuppositional apologetics characterize it. And that's okay. I'm friends with most of them um, who who do characterize it in a different way than me. And that's fine because as many of you know, if you've been listening for a while, especially, I make friends across the spectrum. I'm friends with everybody. Uh, at least I try to be uh, to a certain extent. So um, I think that's the right way to go about things, at least for me. And it helps me to learn more about different people and different methodologies and eat the meat and spit out the bones. But I, I do hold to a, um, a sort of mere uh, presuppositionalism where I am convinced that the mentality of hardcore evidentialism that kind of says, hey, um, we're going to approach this question neutrally, look at the evidence and come to a reasonable conclusion. I am convinced that that method falls a bit short of what we actually see in Scripture. And that is what's primarily concerning for me. And so without going all into it, you know, most people who consider themselves to be presuppositionalists are that on the basis of their theology. And that theology is usually Reformed theology. It's Calvinism. And I personally am not a Calvinist. I'm personally not Reformed, uh, at least not in that sense. And so I do not subscribe to presuppositional apologetics for theological reasons. And you're going to have people who actually would say that I am not consistent. And again, these people are my friends. It's okay. Like, 
there's no secrets here. Uh, they are going to say that I'm actually not consistent in holding to presuppositional apologetics because you have to hold certain um, views about the noetic effects of sin on man in order to consistently uh, hold to this sort of apologetic methodology. At least that is what they will um claim about it. And so without going all the way into that rabbit trail, which I don't plan to do, um, I I simply want to talk about the biblical reasons. Again, that's why I am a presuppositional apologist. Um, And and again, I, I don't even like the term, but that's, that's how the term is commonly, you know, said um, or expressed. So uh, maybe I need to think of a new term. Uh, there have been other terms. There, um, Vody Bauckham, who I really love, a lot of people like Vody, um, has put out a book called Expository Apologetics. So he calls it uh, that. And I like that because I like expository preaching, expository apologetics. I think... Um, I mean, I might call, start calling myself an expository apologist. I don't know. I like that a lot better uh, than the standard way it's characterized. The reason I actually like that better is because it it brings the issue back to Scripture, not necessarily a particular theological viewpoint. And yes, of course, we derive our theology from Scripture. But again, I think I can make a point that Scripture makes a point about something without saying, okay, I have to hold to this particular theological view in order to to take this path, okay? And so that's how I approach the issue of apologetic methodology. So um, here's what my friend Jonathan said, and I want to just make a couple quick comments about this, uh, and then we will wrap it up for this week. Okay, here's what he said, quote, I see then the value of tearing down false authorities which compete with God's word. It is fairly simple to show that, taken in isolation, human logic and evidence-based methods are inadequate as means of judging the truth of God and his word. If I'm not mistaken, the real challenge which confronts the unbeliever is not a lack of information, but a lack of righteousness, as Vody Bauckham likes to say. The unbeliever needs to recognize his sinful rebellion against the Creator and submit to God's authority. Only when he admits that he's living in God's world will his mind be properly oriented to examine the evidence. That much is clear to me, but it's difficult to share that with an unsaved co-worker, for instance. Repent, or we can't properly talk about evidence, doesn't strike me as an easy way to build bridges. It certainly doesn't have the same appeal as the evidentialist's mantra, let's examine the evidence together and see what conclusions we can draw. Close quote. Okay, now, you can hopefully maybe see his concern here. All right, just to summarize, he realizes that looking at God's word, it's like, it's just clear that unless you're doing some biblically based thinking, you're not going to be able to arrive at a proper examination of the world around you. However, it doesn't necessarily seem like the most friendly kind of conversation to have with your coworker. He's getting intensely practical here, right? That says, well, in order for us to talk about the evidence for Christianity, you must first repent. He says, well, it really does seem a little bit more charitable to say, hey, let's talk about the evidence and see um, where this comes out together. And what he's expressing there is very much what I was thinking when I initially started to look at this. When, when I you know, initially started to say, oh, you know, I think I'm being really drawn to this 
method of presuppositional thinking, this way of approaching things this way, I said, you know, I, I just, I'm not sure that the way this is being um, approached in conversation is actually the most helpful. And so that is where some of my initial struggle with this came. And and I have since done a lot of reading, a lot of listening, a lot of watching, just a lot of learning in general. And I've come to the conclusion that it is only a particular brand of presuppositionalism that expresses things in such terms. You know, in other words, repent before we can even talk about evidence. Um, There are a couple very high-profile presuppositionalist teachers who preach the methodology this way. And I don't think that that's the right way to approach it. I mean, I just don't know another way to say it. I don't think that's the right way to approach it. Um, There are other teachers who very much would say, yeah, we approach the the method. Um, We approach with the presuppositional method. We don't lay our biblical presuppositions down. We expose faulty presuppositions. But at the same time, okay, we realize that a conversation can have different starting points. We can enter the conversation at a different place. We can assess their attitude in the conversation and say, is this a person who genuinely wants to know more about God and more about the evidence? Or is this a person who is being hostile to God and needs to be shown or maybe even dealt with in a little bit different way? Okay, these, uh, we have to be careful Okay, always to do, as Ravi Zacharias said, and answer the questioner and not just the question. Folks' questions, like, they come with a context. They come with a particular reason why they have been asked. They come with a lifetime, in many cases, right, of, 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 of other questions and other thoughts that have led up to the question being asked. And unless we find out more about them, unless we do go deeper uh, with them in conversation and learn more about them, then we often have no idea exactly how it is that we should approach this person. So um, while I don't have time today to get into all the intricacies of how um, I might approach this with different questions that we could ask and, and things like that. Um, I do want to give you just three quick things about presuppositional thinking. Um, in general, you could say why I'm a presuppositionalist, but I don't think that's really the best way to put it. I've got blog posts out there, um, two of them now, that deal with presuppositional stuff. Um, you can go check those out at uh, steveschram.com, or if you don't know how to spell my name, you can go to enduringtogether.com, and you can find all that information there as well. It just points to the same website, okay? So I want to give you three quick things here about presuppositional thinking. This is why I take this approach and why I think when properly understood and when thought about this way, it can be actually very helpful, a very persuasive uh, approach to dealing with things. The first thing is that biblically, one's standing with God is always at issue, not whether or not the evidence is supportive of a given claim. In other words, in the Bible, you don't really see this um, mentality of let's examine the evidence together and see what conclusions we can draw. And I know there's different places where folks will try to point to and say, yeah, this is an example of that. But if you look at the context, it's, it's never that way. There's always more going on there. Um, for example, it could be that they're in a, uh, in a very Jewish setting where there's already this major context established about uh, God and his word. Acts 17 is, is, a, is a chief passage where Paul is dealing with 
philosophers at Athens. He's dealing with people who don't quite have that context. And I believe it's been aptly demonstrated or soundly demonstrated that he's using a presuppositional approach to apologetics in that passage where he's bringing people back to the God of Scripture, starting with creation and saying, no, this this is the God who who I am declaring to you. And he's not like your gods. No, he's, a, he's something entirely different. And he goes all through that and gives them the context and then calls them to repent based on what Christ did for them. So I, I don't see anywhere in Scripture where you have this thinking of, oh, let's just... Let's just approach this together, neutral ground, grab a coffee, and examine the evidence together and see what conclusions we can draw. Biblically, what's always going on here is how does this person stand with God? That's the foremost question when you see any kind of evangelism being done in their minds is is how does this person stand? Even Jesus, when approaching people, how do these people stand with me? That is essentially a way to summarize the disposition of biblical characters. And I think if you just read the New Testament and even read the Old Testament, this will be borne out in your thinking. And if you have an example to the contrary, I would love to hear it. Um, send me an email, uh, steve at steveshram.com. I'll take a look at it. Maybe I can even comment on it in another episode. Okay, so that is number one. Uh, number two, when it comes to presuppositional thinking, is a question. And it's this. Why can't the Bible itself count as evidence? Just think about that. Why can't the Bible itself count as evidence? One of the popular kind of almost mantras that you will see coming from the uh, purely evidence-driven, um, the, the evidential, I guess, side of apologetics that you'll see is this idea that Jesus never quoted Bible verses to people. Well, biblical characters never quoted Bible verses to people. They um, they said here, you know, let's look at this evidence. And, and I, I mean... If you can show me an example of that, great, but I've just never seen that. Uh, In fact, Jesus and other New Testament characters always, always, always drove interlocutors back to Scripture. Back to Scripture. There are so many quotes and allusions to the Old Testament and the New Testament that if you'll just look at it for two seconds, it's like, it's, it's startling. And a lot of times, yeah, you do have to look beyond the surface. Maybe some of them are not as easily picked out because a lot of times the New Testament uh, characters are quoting the Septuagint or the wording is a little different or they're actually making an application of a Old Testament theme that um, isn't so readily apparent at face value, but yet it's there. That's the context for it. So the Bible itself, according to New Testament authors, the, the rest of Scripture can count as evidence. And I just don't see why it can't. Um, when it comes to evaluating the manuscripts of a New Testament, why can't these count as evidence? They are evidence for a biblical worldview. They are, I, I mean, I don't know how else to put it. Like, why, why can't the Bible be used as evidence? Why, when somebody says, you know, prove to me God exists without the Bible, why do I have to do that? I am under no obligation to do that. As, as Vody Bauckham uh, uh, often says, you know, when, when you're in a sword fight, you know, you don't say, oh, hang on, let me put this away and, and start discussing the science of metallurgy. No, you, you cut the guy's head off with the sword. A- and that's the thinking, right? The idea is that the Bible, the Word of God, um, has the evidential weight standing behind itself, right? It, it It is part of the evidence. You don't have to set it to the side. It is part of the evidence, okay? So this is just a question. Why can't the Bible itself count as evidence? I've never had anybody give me a reason. And and 
you know, the common thinking, especially that's promulgated in evidentialist circles, because again, I'm friends with these guys, okay, so I know what they say, is is things like, well, well, you know, it's kind of circular reasoning, isn't it, to say, well, you know, the Bible is true, uh, therefore the Bible is true, okay? But if that's what you think presuppositional apologetics is, then you've totally missed it, okay? That's just, that's just not what it is, okay? Um, there is so much more. I wish I could unpack it here. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about presuppositional apologetics in general, I would highly recommend you check out the work of um, Eli Ayala. Eli Ayala. Um, it's on his YouTube channel, um, and he's got a podcast as well called uh, Revealed Apologetics. So check more of that out. You know, get your facts straight here. Okay, uh, presuppositional apologetics is not circular reasoning when properly understood and properly applied. Okay, it's just. It's just not. We're not saying the Bible is true, therefore the Bible is true. That is not the claim of presuppositional apologetics. So if you think it is, then I don't think you've studied enough. And if you, I mean, maybe you have. I don't want to insult you. Um, if, if you have studied enough, you know, show me, demonstrate to me why that's the claim and how that's the claim. Because um, uh, most, well, pretty much, well, I don't know a presuppositionalist who wouldn't deny that. Let me just put it that way, okay? Um, every presuppositionalist denies the claim that, that that what we are saying is, okay, the Bible is true, therefore the Bible is true. That's just not the claim. All right, the third thing that I'm going to give you here for today with presuppositional thinking is this. Claims of the Bible must be considered when discussing a biblical proposition, right? How obvious is that, Okay. Claims of the Bible must be considered when discussing a biblical proposition. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, for example, I had a discussion the other day with some folks, and we were talking about um, biblical uh, writing in terms of the uh, events of Jesus's life, death, resurrection, and how soon those events were written about. And we were, again, we were discussing uh, a response to a video. It was on YouTube. Uh, it was on the Mentionables YouTube channel. We were um, doing a response video to Prophet of Zod, I believe his name is. And one of the things that he was saying is, well, how, you know, what happened during that 20 years between the time that, you know, the events of Jesus supposedly happened and uh, the Apostle Paul actually started to write something down? You know, there's like 20 years or so in between there. Like, what happened during those 20 years? Uh, his point was, well, a lot can happen in those 20 years. And there, it was a multifaceted response. I'm not going to repeat the response or the responses to that here. That's not the point. Um, but one of the things that came up was that, um, in that time period, you know, obviously there would be no issue with people remembering significant events that happened in their life 20 years ago. But in a biblical worldview, now catch this, in a biblical worldview, we also believe the Holy Spirit revealed things to these authors, revealed, you know, would bring to remembrance, is the way that the Bible um, puts it down, would, would bring these things to their remembrance. Okay, so... Even if we have events going on, like, okay, it's, it's extremely reasonable to think that the details surrounding the major events in their lives would be preserved through their writing, just through their human memory, and especially because their memory had to be more advanced for um, reasons of the way information was passed down uh, back then. You had to have a, um, frankly, a, a better memory uh, than you need to have today in order to get by. And so that was just part of the life, part of the culture. But beyond that, if there are more minute details, we can even say that we have the Holy Spirit who would reveal those details or bring them to remembrance for these people because that's part of the biblical worldview. It just is. 
Claims of the Bible must be considered when discussing a biblical proposition. It's like when people deny the resurrection. Here's another example, right? Well, resurrections just don't happen. Yeah, well, no duh. Like, we totally agree, right? But in a biblical worldview, the biblical proposition is God raised Jesus from the dead. So the question is, do we have good reasons to believe that God exists. And we do. We have great reasons to believe that God exists. And so in that worldview, yeah, Jesus could have been brought back to life, the Father. And, and even the Bible says, I take down, uh, Jesus says he takes down his own life. He raises it back up, right? It's it's in a biblical worldview, God exists. Therefore, the biblical proposition that God raised Jesus from the dead is entirely reasonable. And you have to consider claims of the Bible, right, when discussing those things, okay? In a biblical worldview, the Bible gets used, okay? In another worldview, their book gets used, right? So that's why presuppositional apologetics is so effective because you critique things internally. You can run an internal critique on the Bible. You run an internal critique on the Quran. You run an internal critique on the Book of Mormon, right? You, you actually compare things against themselves to show that the only consistent biblical worldview, or the only consistent, excuse me, worldview is the biblical one, right? That is the approach of presuppositional apologetics. We take the biblical claims and look at the world, and we take the claims of another and, put, and, and look at the world, and we say, okay, we invite you to explain the world using your system and we're going to explain the world using our system and we're going to take a look at which one can stand up to scrutiny okay ultimately that is presuppositional apologetics and so that is my approach to it and that's why um i am a fan of it and i think that it is the proper and biblical way to approach uh, things again if you want to go to my blog steveshram.com or enduringtogether.com do a search for presuppositional apologetics you will find uh, some things that I have written on this in the past and some places that I have dealt with this. I also explain it in my book, Truth Be Told. You can find that by going to steveshram.com slash tbt, steveshram.com slash tbt. And that will link you up to the book where you can purchase that on Amazon. And we walk through my approach to apologetics there uh, as well in that book. So, all right, that is what I have for you today. I hope that uh, this is ooh, this this episode went a little longer than I planned on, but uh, hey, that's all right. Um, I hope you guys have a great week, a wonderful week. I'm encouraged to see people still subscribing to the podcast and listening to the podcast. You know, please share with somebody else. I've done all the research, and um, I'll tell you, nothing. Uh, can help a podcast grow faster than word of mouth. That's how podcasts generally spread these days, just word of mouth and actually getting out there and telling somebody, hey, you should check out this podcast because I think it's going to be very useful and very helpful for you. That is the best thing you can do for me is to tell somebody else personally about it, even better than rating or reviewing. And I love those things. I love to read your reviews and your thoughts on the podcast. That's wonderful. But even better than all of that, the very best thing you can do is to just tell somebody else about it and uh, let somebody else uh, join in on the fun each and every week, okay? So God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. Again, you need to get on my daily email list so that you can get uh, encouraging content like this through email every single day. So sign up at steveshram.com slash defend or steveshram.com slash battle. We'll see you guys in the next one.